All right, guys, we're finally back in the studio. The last, where the heck have I been? <laughs> last episode was Heydays, which was controlled chaos at its best. Um, background sound, four wheelers going by, quads, side by sides, everything. People chatting, but it was fun. We had like six or seven guests on because we just kept having people sit down and kick them off for 10 minutes. And before that, I think I was in Seaboy's setup, used their place. So it's been like three episodes since we've actually been in the studio. But we just had our kickoff to winter, which is the grand opening of our experience center here at 509, which is our, I mean, you come in and learn, touch the gear, feel the gear, try it on, learn exactly what's right for you. And we just had that huge party grand opening Saturday. And Caleb Kosterke stuck around for an extra couple of days to do a podcast with me. Even though I know you got other stuff going on, I like feeling like, saying that you stuck around for feel that important yeah 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 that you stuck around for us so caleb by popular demand uh welcome to the podcast finally thank you glad to be here um right off the bat i just kind of want to say everything you've been doing in the sled world has uh definitely been noticed your level of progression the way you've been pushing things your like unique style of riding dude is like inspired a new generation, the older generation, the current generation, everyone, dude. So, like, a round of applause for me to you for what you've been doing over the last few years because it's been fun to watch. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. That might be a little generous with the applause, but I think it's I been ha- a fun journey. I have an applause button on here somewhere, but I don't know which one it is. <laughs> Just so hit them all. Try, one at a time. Try this one. Oh, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Caleb, when when you first started sledding, you're you're from Sealy Lake, Montana, right? Yeah, born and raised. We've we you've documented it well on social media, kind of your early years. But what was your like initial introduction? Do you remember the first time you swung your leg over a sled? I don't know if I remember it or I just remember people telling me about it because it's one of those things. Like, do you actually have the memory or do you just have the memory of hearing about um, hearing about it? Right. Um, but. Uh, my parents bought me a little 120 mini Z when I was two years old. So still wearing a diaper and uh, they just took me out to this plowed road and were like, well, here's the throttle. Here's the brake. Go for it. And uh, pretty sure I pinned it and went right into a snowbank and flipped the sled over on top of myself. Well, that but, was like, talk about foreshadowing. <laughs> right. It was a re-entry, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a crashed re-entry. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was like the very start of it. And, uh, just uh, grew up like riding around in fields and um, my dad was really into riding as well as my grandpa. So they really pushed me and kind of created an obsession at a young age. Um, my grandpa set up that little 120 mini Z with uh, wheels on the skis and then let me ride it all summer. Take the governor off of it too? <laughs> yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was two, so right, the governor okay, stayed right, on for a fair, little while. But it was off by the time I was five or so. Yeah, yeah. So it really just kind of threw me to the wolves and pushed me into it. And, uh, yeah, it was a hobby and, um, just, I loved doing it, but it wasn't, um, like this crazy obsession until later in life. Um, but that, I guess that still hit pretty young. Um, so yeah, I rode with my dad, uh, have a lot of memories of just getting like pushed in the trees and, um, riding with him being forced to progress just so I could keep up and, you know, go out of the mountain with him. And then uh, I think I was 13, um, I was just watching YouTube videos, and uh, Brant um, was kind of my hero at the time, so I was watching videos of him, and um, there's this uh, clip of him riding trees, doing that gnarly side hill on an old cat. You remember uh, the clip, even. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember this very specific moment, like, it was dumping snow. George Marsh was the filmer. Oh, yeah, I remember it all. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm about two minutes into this YouTube video. And uh, I see Brant just holding a nasty side hill, chewing on a cat. And uh, it hits me like, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to be that guy in the film doing that maneuver because that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then at that point on, I was like, okay, how do I, how do I become that guy? Right. And uh, yeah, that's why I'm here. So not many people know this, but you, you have a huge family. You have a lot of siblings. So how many do you have? You're what of what? I am the oldest of eight total. Oh man, that's a lot of that's yeah. a lot of brothers and sisters. All full siblings. Yeah, that's wild. So what I was getting at there was was there anybody else in the family that became interested? Any of your brothers or sisters? Like, or was it just kind of 
This is Caleb, and he's obsessed with snowmobiles. Yeah, nobody took it to the same level, that's for sure. But uh, most of them ride at least a little bit. And for them, it's kind of like after school, they go rip around the field or go out with dad once in a while. Yeah. Um, and then there's obviously Isaac, who most guys probably know of. Um, and he rides with me all winter long. Yeah, his uh, progression has been awesome to watch. You've really kind of taken him under your wing, and he's helped you out a lot with, it looks like, some of your clinics, and and then you helping him out as well. Yeah, it's a good trade. He's shot um, a huge portion of my content um, and now has helped me a lot with my business as well. So um, I guess it's, yeah, it's, it's just been a, a good trade back and forth. He helps me out, and then I provide him a sled and help him out with gear or whatever else he needs, parts. Right. That's rad. So this is kind of a two-part thing. There's one, what was the sled that kind of opened up the backcountry to you? Because then I'm going to follow up with the first video I remember seeing of you. So did you build a sled first? Or like a, Did you build a tube chassis also? So no, Kyle Saxon built a full tube chassis, but I built like this exoskeleton on yeah. the rev. So it kind of looked like a tube chassis. And it was a fully modded out sled, mostly like homemade welded mods. Right. Um, but I didn't do the full tube chassis like he did. I think the tunnel and the running boards was that was all tube, and then an exoskeleton with mesh over it. Rad. Was that kind of the sled that opened up your your mind to what you can do in the backcountry, or at least places you can get to? Yeah. That I mean, that sled was a piece of shit. Like I had so many. <laughs> I put 9,000 miles on that sled. 9,000? So that was the first sled I ever bought. Um, I bought it for my dad and uh, I had to work for him for like four summers in a row to save up enough, awesome. enough money to buy it. But I rode it forever because I couldn't afford to buy a new one Yeah. Um, and then modded it out. And then in the end it had like three different motors in it and 9,000 miles and <laughs> like chassis parts from whatever I could find off eBay, basically. That's impressive. Uh, now, I remember seeing, I want to say, you can fact check me, obviously you will know, some blue, like, vertical escape. Oh, yeah. So I had the Rev um, that was that tube chassis or whatever modded out um, sled. And then that thing kind of just quit on me mid-season. <laughs> I had to pull it home by hand one day. By and, hand. Yeah, I blew it up for, like, the third time that year. And I did all my own mechanicing. That was part of why I had so many issues. So I was like 15 yeah. rebuilding okay. my own motors with no supervision. And it checks out. Yeah, <laughs> stuff stuff happens. And I, I pulled it home by hand. It was only a couple of miles and it was a groom trail. So it's not like... No, that's not pretty that gnarly. Impressive. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. But uh, yeah, so pulled it home. And then I was like, I'm not fixing this thing again. Like, there's no way. Yeah. Like, I've just... I, I pulled so many all-nighters working on that thing. Like, I just want to start fresh. So that's when I went and bought that blue um, edge chassis. Yeah, yeah. And just kept it bone stock. I like raised the handlebars a little bit. And then I just continued to push on that. Um, that's the sled I remember seeing you push on first because you were doing some, like that was the first kind of glimpse of the Caleb we know today. Yeah. You were elevating that thing. Yeah. You were like trying so hard to figure out re-entries on it. I mean, you're working, you're essentially riding a bathtub around. Like you can <laughs> open the hood and crawl into those things. It's like an old Chevy truck. Right. There's so much room in there. But uh, I just remember seeing that going. And I think what year was that? Not the slide, but what time actual year was that? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe 2011, 2012. Yeah. So there was like significantly better snowmobiles out oh, there yeah. at the time. And you were doing something or things on that sled that was better than a lot of guys could do on a brand new 2011, whatever it may be. And I remember watching that video going like, who is this kid? <laughs> and you were just like experimenting. Yeah, I really was. I, I just wanted to learn new things. And like, it was what was fun to me was going out and just trying a new maneuver and practicing something and seeing if it would work. I didn't really enjoy doing tree lines forever or climbing shoots or that style of riding. And I wasn't into jumping at the time. So doing like turndowns, re-entries, utilizing the terrain Sealy has just right. to see what I could come up with. Yeah, that's rad. Um, do you, I've always wondered, I got a lot of questions for you because I've had a lot of mysteries for how much I've hung out with you. I've never really got the full in-depth history. Um, see, when first time I met you was, oh boy, 2015, 16, maybe? I don't remember when we met. Yeah, it was maybe like 16 or 17. What, what were we doing? It was a film premiere, I think. Probably. You weren't in it, but you were just like signed a okay. deal, I think. Yeah, I think or we so. were talking about doing a deal. 
But um, at that time, before 509 stuff, had you you dabbled with a little bit of filming of like Thunderstruck or? Yeah, um, the first filming I ever did was with Motor Fist. Okay, I don't know if you remember Taylor Fist. Oh yeah, or not. yep. Yeah, so he kind of got me on the scene filming wise, and the first stuff I ever shot was with him. Unfortunately, we shot a bunch of stuff on that modded rev, but he didn't pull permits, and the Forest Service caught us in the uh, parking lot. Oh, in the parking <laughs> yeah. lot. Well, also, yeah, that's a long story. But anyway, <laughs> we got busted and couldn't use any of the footage. So none uh, of that got used. But then I think it was later that spring, I borrowed a pro, and we did another film shoot. And that was like one of the first YouTube videos that was actually like done well, yeah. that was ever published. And I did like, I don't know, a million hopovers in it or something. Yeah. All the video was. No, I remember. So at that point, I mean, was that all of a sudden now the video you referenced of watching Barant, right now you're kind of producing that. Was that just the next level of motivation? Like, okay, I've got to this point now. Let's check that off the box. Where can we go from here? Um, I, I don't really get that feeling. Like, I don't feel like I've checked anything off the box. Like, I feel like I'm still the kid that wants it all so bad. I just don't, I'm not at a place in my life and I'm not at a place with sledding where I'm like stoked on it or satisfied. That's There's a, just so much more I'm trying to do. That's an interesting mindset. I, we hear some people that have this invisible checklist and different, you know, tiers of their career they want to hit. But um, I, I like that. I mean, that's kind of, you're not putting easy to reach goals for yourself. You know, you're kind of putting the, the ceiling way up here where you want to be eventually. Yeah. I think I am like, I do check off those um, things off the checklist, but they just never actually feel as good as I expect them to. And they don't really slow me down or motivate me. Yeah. It just is like, okay, well that happened. Now I'd have the next thing I'm trying to do. Yeah. The That's only, the only one that I really look back on and still um, appreciate, I guess, is a, a factory ride. Cause that was something that, yeah. I was told was impossible by multiple people and it felt unattainable most of my life. And then when I signed that contract with Polaris, like that felt, that felt pretty good. And I still reflect on that. Like that is something that I thought I would never be able to do. Yeah. I felt good for you. I was, I was, yeah. I was kind of you, along you for that ride. That yeah. was wild. I remember getting the call from you and you were like, like, well, Caleb's actually like genuinely stoke sounding. <laughs> I was like, this is rare. Yeah, he normally sounds pumped. Only, normally only get excited if I land a 270 flip. Yeah, yeah, I've seen both sides of that, the landing and not landing it. Um, so, Caleb, through your career, you've taken a lot of inspiration from Barant for sure in the early years. Nowadays, I know you spent some time, you and I did actually together with Andreas Bergmark, in Canada a few years ago, and it, that was cool to see you too because you were very similar riding styles at the time and just thriving off each other. But now I don't want to put you in a league of your own because I know you're you're extremely humble. But who do you have somebody right now that you're like, damn, I wish I could be doing that, or I really look up to their style, or trying to you know figure out how they're moving the sled in this way? Is there is there somebody on your list right now that you keep an eye on pretty consistently? Hmm. I don't know if I do partly because I'm not pushing the athletic side as much as I was a couple of years ago because I'm trying to like turn it. I'm a little more career focused now. I still am pushing and want like want to get better on a sled. Obviously um, that'll never stop, but there's not, there's not like someone that I'm going out and like studying their clips all the time. Like I used to um, two years ago, I was really, focusing on some backcountry freestyle. So, <clears throat> so like Brett Turcott stuff was, um, on my radar a ton. Um, this last winter though, it was really just, I didn't get a chance to even really think about pushing myself that much. Cause I just so yeah. far behind on business. Um, I do take a lot of inspiration from guys that have turned it into a business and are successful and kind of interestingly enough, like Brant was a huge inspiration when I was younger. And then, when I started pushing hard on like 270 flips and like more Andreas style riding, I didn't really look up to him at all. And Barant or Andreas? Barant. Yeah. I kind of just kind of like didn't care what he did. Right. And because uh, he's just riding trees and it's like, oh, it's the same tree line. Yeah. And I was like watching the Swedes a lot more, Turcotte and guy like McNulty, guys that are doing the flips and bigger airs. 
well, now that I'm like thinking about business a lot more, now I'm watching Branting and like, wow, like I have a lot Full more. circle. Yeah. Huh? I have so much more respect for what he's done now that I'm trying to do something similar. Yeah. He's built kind of a little empire. I, I almost look at what he's done is like, uh, what is it? The NASCAR driver, Tom Petty. Penny or Penny? Somebody's going to call me out on that in the comments. One's a musician, one's a NASCAR driver. Either way, he has an experience at a, a racetrack, right? Where he, He's never even there now. It's just his legacy lives on. It's a driving school. And I, I've always wondered, I, I want to get Brant on someday, and I'd like to see it like that for him in the future where, like, he's not necessarily there anymore. Like, maybe it's 30, 40 years from now even. But that Brant's backcountry adventure lives on with his name and just kind of that legend status if you will and it's still like a clinic and there's a new generation running it but in his name or honor in the industry so it's interesting to watch what he's crafted there and uh that's a kind of perfect segue for for what you have going on now um proven progression dude that name speaks for itself (laughs) yeah i had a really hard time picking a name and i don't know if i'm still oh i'm getting too far away from the mic sorry um yeah i had a hard time picking a name and it's like I don't, I want the name to mean something. And I just ended up settling on uh proven progression. Cause it, it really does kind of sum up how I live my life and like, especially like what I do on a sled. And uh, yeah. So now um, I guess I would say like previously progression was all I cared about. That's all I focused on. Yeah. Um, pretty much every aspect of life was put on hold while I tried to progress my riding skill. Um, and that's where the name came from. And now um, I'm trying to do the same thing business wise and just getting started. So like last year was the first year I ever came out ahead at the end of winter, which yeah. was a pretty good feeling. Um, and hopefully it just continues to grow from there. So you can't tell me that was not a goal of some sort. <laughs> One that says he doesn't have goals. <laughs> well, I have goals. I just don't reach the goals and then like get that stoked. Yeah. Up. Um, yeah, no, that's a goal for sure. Or was a goal is a goal, um, continues to, um, be like the focus. So, I did like last year was the first winter ever. I came out and I like I made more money riding snowmobiles than I would have swinging a hammer. Yeah, so that was that's a good feeling. Feel good, yeah. yeah. That's what is this year two that you just did? Uh, year three as proven progression. Okay, first um, year of the new lodge, though, right? Yes. Yeah. So that getting that going at your age, dude, that's a lot of moving parts. I bet, I mean, I can only imagine um, there's got to be that fear of like, are people even going to come yeah. putting all that time into it, investing into it? Yeah. Well, in the first like couple years of doing clinics, people didn't come. I had like three guys at my first clinic Yeah, and it didn't even cover like my expenses. So I, it cost me money to go out and teach a clinic, which is fine. That's part of business. Yeah. Um, but you know, it doesn't, it kills a little bit of the stoke, uh, but it, it got better every year. And then last year I was... I really did step out on a limb trying to get the lodge um, done, but I did it in a safe way. Like um, my dad helped out with um, financing the place and um, he's a part owner in it. So bought a place That's that, cool. or he, he actually owned the place um, and I renovated it and got it ready for clients basically. So it was like fairly r- low risk yeah. uh, compared to like trying to finance a million dollar lodge yeah. or something. You're, you're in a cool position having your, your day job, be able to play into what you're almost want to call it your day job now is is snowmobiling obviously you still do a lot of construction but you're fortunate enough to have that skill set to be able to combine those two things and then have this final product for people to come stay at in extremely early in your career still yeah it's kind of cool to um like have so many clients come in and like see my work on the lodge unfortunately it wasn't like a necessarily like a high-end custom homes like yeah. I would like to do because I was a little rushed but you know it's these guys are they they come in they see all the um all my carpentry skills or like labor I put into that and then we go ride on the mountain and it was cool because I felt like people actually really respected the effort put into it yeah I still haven't seen it yeah, last season together. was complete chaos it really was From mother nature to everything you had going on like I gotta get over there this winter I kind of want to Sign up for a clinic for fun. Yeah, you should. Like, no cameras, no work, and just... Oh, you just want to... Like, watch you do your thing. Yeah. I enjoy... I've done it with... I've done it with Chris, Dan, and Sane. I've done all of theirs as, like, a fly on the wall. 
and it'd be fun to check yours off the list also. Yeah. There, there's my goal list for the winter. <laughs> <laughs> Going on proven progression ride. Yeah. Yeah, definitely come uh, take along on an advanced clinic or the, I'm doing what I'm calling a pro ride this year, which is like the advanced clinic, but uh, it's like another step above. And we're going to focus more on sled setup, how to shoot camera angles of stuff to make it look no kidding, big. dude. Yeah. And like how to negotiate sponsorship contracts. Kind of, it's designed for guys that, are really good riders, but, uh, like, and they're, they're really good riders that want to make an impact on the industry, but yeah. they're not quite there yet. So kind of like coaching and guiding that aspect of it. Where, where are you coming up with these, these ideas for these clinics? Cause you've broken it down really well. I mean, I've read through your website from uh, beginner to intermediate to advanced and, and kind of what your tiers consist of and that you kind of throw out some terminology there that if you're a beginner rider you might not even understand you know if you're more of an intermediate to advanced you're like yes this makes sense to me i've i've tried this stuff so well, like this one you're just talking about this pro class is just single-handedly you or are you brainstorming yeah. with your brother or your dad or your girlfriend or just just it's pretty much the just, gears turning yeah my head is uh doing some work thinking about snowmobiles when I'm out there working construction. Dude, the creativity, that's a cool new approach. There's never been anything like that in our industry. Yeah, I think it'll be really cool. Like there's not that many riders that it'd be helpful for, but the ones that want to do it, it could be extremely helpful. For yeah. And then and I, I just think about like what I would have wanted at each, le like each like part of my journey, what would have benefited me. And that's what I'm trying to provide to someone else. Yeah. That's cool. Now that you have the platform available, it's kind of the, you know, it's in your hands to dictate what it looks like. But, um, yeah, we've had a couple, let's see, I think Phil, who's our event coordinator at 509, did a jump clinic with you last year. Yeah. And then Bill in product design is going to do one of them with you this winter also. So, yeah, that's like, for me, I'm like so stoked hearing that, that internal employees at 509 at your sponsor are like going out of their way to do a clinic with you because they're equally stoked yeah like that that's one of those full circle scenarios for me where all of a sudden the guy that we sponsored we have internal interest in like going to ride with him and learn from you yeah it's pretty wild it's a, it's wild to think that um not only am i sponsored by such a cool company but the company's employees are not even they're not asking for a discount or anything they're just like paying full price to come yeah. out and ride because they want to support it that's so rad because i mean yeah there's a lot of people that would be like caleb can i uh tag along and try some, teach me a few things, but th that just speaks for itself that they want to go out and support you because love your program, what you've been doing and want to help continuously progress the thing. Yeah. I think it speaks to their character too. Like they're more worried about supporting someone getting going than um, saving a few bucks. Right. Um, Caleb, kind of the, the elephant in the room for you the last couple seasons or last season here has been, uh, you've kind of, filled us in a little bit on Instagram stories and showing some of the stuff you've been doing to get yourself healthy. But I don't know how much you want to dive into it, but I know a lot of people are curious on what's going on for your injury. Um, you got a lot of eyes on you and a lot of people that love seeing what you do and, and care about, you know, your well being. And I think there's kind of some mystery on exactly what's going on. So if you want to fill us in a little more in depth, I mean, I'm sure I personally would love to hear it. I don't even know all of it. And of course all the fans do too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't shared a ton partly, partly because over the summer I just wasn't in a great headspace. And when you're like down in the dumps, it's pretty hard to talk about much anything, especially in a public platform. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm doing a little bit better now and um, pretty open about everything. And I want to kind of share some of the journey because maybe some of what I'm going through and the treatments I'm, um, trying, they might help someone else out there too. Uh, so basically I started getting into freestyle like three and a half years ago. And, uh, I'm sure you remember seeing some of that mm -hmm. built a freestyle compound, um, just outside of Sealy and was practicing there. I had one weekend successful, like didn't have any crashes. And then the next weekend, first hit of the day, I overshot, um, the landing by like 25 feet. So I had really bad nerves and when you're really scared to do something, you kind of just shut your brain off to block the fear out. And when you do that, a lot of the calculations get shut out too. Right. So I just overshot, which I do in the backcountry all the time. I go deep on my first hit and you get praised for it. And like 
you land hard, but you ride it out because you yeah. have so much room to work with in the backcountry. Well, off a ramp, um, that's a different story because you only have like a yeah, 40 foot sweet spot. Yeah. Once you run out of bag, it's just, dirt. yeah, it's just frozen dirt in, yeah. in my case too. So I went past the airbag and landed in the flat on frozen dirt and, uh, took the handlebars to the throat, hit my face on like the hood, um, knocked myself out. And, uh, so got a bad concussion and took a ton of whiplash trauma to my neck. Basically. Um, I was like, wasn't very coherent for a while, just kind of chilled out there for a couple hours and then drove myself home, um, sat on the couch that evening, got up the next day, went to work, like, you know, just like what we would do. And uh, I didn't feel terrible at work, but my neck had like felt pretty jacked up. So I went and got some imaging done. Um, Nothing showed up on imaging. Like doctors like, oh, you know, your neck's bruised. Like, okay, cool. Went back at that point. That was all I had for imaging. That's all I had done from um, a doctor. Just went back to normal life. So continued working, went into that season. I had pretty bad concussion symptoms for a while, like some depression and slurred speech and um, just like standard concussion stuff. That's all I thought I had with like maybe some soft tissue damage in my neck. And uh, I fought it that year, but uh, and it slowed me down, but I still, I jumped all season like, it, yeah. it slowed me down, but I still was functioning. And then that summer I recovered. I was a hundred percent. So this was not this summer, but the summer before, right. um, felt great all summer. I was trail running, lifting, working insane hours. And then, uh, last winter, um, I felt good going into winter, felt good the first part of winter. And then the symptoms started coming back. Uh, I think it was about the end of January. So, the symptoms came on at first. It, they were pretty manageable. It was just like kind of the same thing as a year before where it slowed me down, but I was still functioning. And then it got to the point where I couldn't function. I could barely get out of bed. And I had a day where I was guiding this group of like eight riders, I think it was. And I basically just sat on my sled all day and Isaac guided them because I was like so rough. Like I didn't know what I thought I might like have a stroke if I turned my neck too fast or something. What, um, what was the reoccurring pain? Like, what was it? Was it just head to toe, just excruciating pain, or was it strictly no, back I, pain? Or, or no, I I never really had that much pain. My worst symptoms were like this insane brain fog and dizziness, vertigo. Oh, um, that's scary. To the point where I I just wasn't very coherent. Like, I'd struggle to carry on a conversation, mm-hmm. um, and and it fluctuated, and I I didn't really know what was going on. Um, so, and I just kept kind of p- trying to push through and I mean, uh, we're all kind of like that, you yeah. know, we don't really go to the doctor unless we absolutely have to, but I, f- it finally hit me on one day on the mountain when I couldn't like handle the group that I was with. I was like, okay, time to go get some imaging done. Yeah. And so that was February of last year. Uh, I got some imaging done. Nothing came back on that. Like another set of x-rays there's nothing like the doctor's like oh you have great neck structure like your discs are good like you look fine so um finished out the clinic season and was still riding the beginning of march and still like trying to figure it out and uh the symptoms were just so bad i couldn't push through anymore so at that point i quit riding and like treated the injury like my full-time job basically so i went through like four doctors locally and uh didn't get a diagnosis. They didn't find anything at all. Yeah, that's got to be the wildest part is knowing something's wrong. Yeah. And everybody telling you everything checks out. Yeah. I, I had every kind of imaging you could do in Missoula done. And they're like, oh, you look like there's nothing that explains your symptoms. You look pretty good. Like maybe you need antidepressants. Like, no, that's, that's not <laughs> what I need. Like there's something wrong and I know it's in my neck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at that point I started traveling to see specialists and I went down to Florida, saw a specialist there, um, had a new type of imaging done, which is an x-ray, uh, while the neck's under motion. So like during flexion and extension and then laterally side to side. And basically what that showed is that my vertebrae were like stair stepping every time I look down or look up and especially while riding. Cause there's so much force yeah. on the neck and what that was doing is basically they would stair step and like run into my spinal cord and cause spinal cord trauma. Holy shit. And um, they diagnosed me with cranial cervical instability. 
basically what that is are the ligaments in the neck are stretched out like they're too long and they're not holding the vertebrae where they're supposed to be. You, you basically like slacking them. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So it's not really a sprain. Um, it's more they're just stretched. And it could have been from years of whiplash. Like, you know, there's been a few times I've hit my face on the handlebars. Right. And I was in a car wreck when I was younger, too. Um, that was pretty bad and caused some neck trauma. So I don't know if it was a, a cumulative thing. And then that yeah. one injury off the freestyle ramp just did me in or what. But uh, I got that diagnosis. And then since then, been just like, full force on rehab started out with prolotherapy injections and then decided to go straight to stem cells. And I found a doctor in Colorado. Oh, you did do, do stem cells. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I did a full round. Heard a lot of good things about that. Yeah. I, I think that was a smart move. Um, prolotherapy can heal a lot of things, but stem cells are, if you can afford it or can find someone to do it, stem cells are far better. Yeah. So I started with that. And, uh, after my stem cell procedure in June, my symptoms came back far worse. I was barely functioning in like June and July. Um, and those who like follow my content really closely probably realized I didn't really do stories mm -hmm. or like anything in June, July, and even part of August. I was still pretty rough. So I, I was working construction as much as I could and not really doing much physical stuff. But there are days like I would just leave at 10 in the morning or noon and just go home and lay in bed. Yeah. So it was pretty rough and I didn't talk about it a lot just because one, I thought I was going to get better. Like every along this whole journey, it's like, Oh, another week of this. And then I'll be getting better. Right. It's like, Oh, I'll get stem cells. And then, you know, two weeks later I'll be improving and I'll get, be getting better. Um, and that's just been, it's been a lot slower process than I was expecting. So I didn't want to talk about this injury. Like I just wanted to get back to slaying, like get yeah. back to like working long days, kicking ass in the gym and riding sleds like maniac. Yeah. But that's not the reality. And this injury is a lot more severe than I anticipated. And the, the recovery journey is going to be a lot longer than I was planning. Wow. Um, dude, that, that's, that's shitty. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. Um, yeah. I, I, I praise you for the, the amount of effort you're putting into your body and, and trying to get back to a hundred percent, but you're well aware it's a, it's a journey and it sounds like every single week's different right now. Yeah. Ever really. changing. And, uh, yeah, but you're, you're doing whatever it takes and you're handling it in the right way, which is, which is all you really can do right now. Yeah. I, I try to go to bed every day knowing that I did the step, like everything I could that day to heal. Yeah. Like I'm treating healing like I treated, progression on a sled like right. I have to put that amount of effort into this injury to get back to riding there's a lot of athletes that take injuries and they don't they never come back from them and I don't want to be that guy and I'm yeah. you know, willing to do whatever work it takes to not be that guy where are we at present day now so I am improving um it's like I said before a lot slower than I was expecting mm -hmm. and uh it's looking good for riding this winter but there's definitely not going to be any big jumps and I don't expect there to be any big jumps or like 270 flips or like abuse on the body. So after this, I think everybody understands, man, everybody's in your corner here. <laughs> Please don't. I think people are going to be telling you don't, even if you want to. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. I, uh, I am going to be riding this winter, um, focus being clinics and content. And I have a huge list of how to content I want to do this year. Yeah. So it'll be a good season to pull back from pushing as hard and focus more on like, um, educational stuff that I've, I'm actually really excited to put out and work on. Um, and yeah, I still have like three months before I need to start riding. So I still have a lot of time to um, recover and I could ride right now. Um, and I think I would be okay, but I'm like right on that edge. So that's, uh, actually part of why I'm still here and didn't go home after the event is, um, I'm trying out some new treatment options here in Spokane. Well, I appreciate you sharing it, dude. I know it's kind of a roller coaster for you. Um, and there's just been countless people who just love what you do, man. You're just wondering. Like people genuinely care about your well being and who you are and your progression. So I mean, thanks for filling us in. I, I there was a lot to that story that I didn't know about either. Um but dude, yeah, just uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's your your mindset sounds like you're you're totally in the right direction 
Um, and just, yeah, I mean, no 270 flips, please. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I might have to hold off. I, I anticipate that this year will be rough and I'll, I'll struggle through it and kind of just focus on business this year. And then the following winter, um, I'm hoping I can get back to like pushing hard again. Yeah. And maybe I'll never be able to take the same types of impacts I did before, but, um, that doesn't mean I can't still progress and still work on my riding. I might just have to learn to be a little smoother and, um, yeah work on being more calculated hey we could see a whole new era of caleb <laughs> in new style knowing you dude you'll figure out a way to pioneer something that nobody has seen still yeah i'm, I'm i appreciate that but i don't know i guess we'll see hey i time remember the tell. first time i did a bow tie and with you i just want to make sure you're watching and i was like <laughs> i i've i now i need to go down doing with barant again but at for my era like barant was definitely the Caleb of my generation, right? I'm calling, I'm putting you as your own like legend in this generation. Oh, that, that's so, too much pressure. But to do one in front of you too, I was like, checked off the list. I was yeah, like, Caleb yeah. saw it. All right, carry on. <laughs> I did. I did see it. You've progressed a ton over the last few years, just since we started filming and riding together. It's been pretty impressive. Well, learning from guys like you, but, but that was my segue right there is, is um, your YouTube channel. Like, your how to's everything. Dan Adams also is doing a lot of that stuff too, but you guys are doing totally different information that is just still as interesting and is necessary for the people in the industry. Um, but you have pushed your YouTube channel, dude, and, and your production quality, everything. There, there's some shots that I'm like, make me feel kind of bad. I'm like, dude, that was good. Like that was really good. And that's just falls into the same mindset you have for everything is just kind of doing it to your best. And even if it's not the best to you, others are really appreciating the level of effort. Um, but it, what I'm getting at there is I think that's kind of a, it, it's a tough barrier to entry for guys to get into the YouTube thing for sure. Like you had to learn how to use a camera, what camera to get. I know you asked me, you asked a bunch of other filmers, but you put the time in to figure it out and it has elevated who you are as a rider and put your name out there even more. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, it's just a, it's a slow process and people think like, you know, yo, you got a new camera. Your shots are so much better. I was like, well, no, like I've been working at getting shots since I was 13. And it's, yeah. you know, you, I learned a couple of things that year, learned a couple of things the next year, then like filmed with you and like watched what you did and, you know, tried to pick up some of uh, the things that you did and, you know, try to get advice from Stephen Clark and you and whoever else I could ask to try to improve that aspect of it too. Being a good rider just doesn't really get you that far, like in this industry. Like you have to do business, you have to be a rider, you have to be your own yeah. filmer. I, I think we have a similar outlook on it because I've had a lot of people reach out of, you know, how can I become more of a an athlete or a personality, whatever it may be. How can I become more relevant in the industry? And I kind of a reoccurring thing lately has been like, take the helmet off. It's, it was sick. I loved the sled next films. I loved all our five one nine stuff. We did seeing people push sledding, you know, five minutes of just gnarliness, but nobody knew who you were when you came to a premiere. And like, if we didn't go out of our way to say like, this is Cody Borchers. A lot of time people didn't know because there was, helmets on nobody has a, a face to the name and now like yourself you you've built this personality that's like a household name now and people know who you are helmet off and that just makes it more appealing to everyone including from sponsors to just viewers and and you go to these events you go to like this weekend and they they feel like they already know you in a sense and they can instantly just strike up a conversation and it's a bit more natural feeling yeah yeah, it's a different era now. Like we have, it's a social media era. So people see what you post all day long on your stories and then, you know, see more of a polished product when you make your reels or posts or YouTube episodes. And I I think you see that across the board in all industries, not just sledding. Like yeah. the, the pro or not maybe, yeah, like I guess like pro football players and um, like movie stars are they get less attention and Instagram influencers and people that are more relatable are getting more attention. Yeah. So that fine balance of being relatable and still pushing the sport. Um, I, I, that's kind of what I've been telling people lately. Like if you want to kind of 
become more of a name. It's like people got to know who you are. Like they got to be able to relate to you. They got to know your personality. And uh, I mean, you just dove in head first dude on the YouTube thing and like knocked it out of the park. Oh, thank you. I had a lot of help from Kyle Saxon too last year. Like he's Both trying to do yeah. um, a similar thing with YouTube and shot a ton of content for me. Sorry. And um, Isaac helped a lot too with shooting content. So that video you just did with Kyle the other day at the free at his freestyle setup in his house. Dude, there's some solid gimbal work in there. Oh, thanks. I haven't even seen it yet. I saw the raw footage, but I haven't watched Kyle's edit, and I haven't yeah. edited it, but I need to check it out. I was somewhere. I can't remember where I couldn't have the sound on, and I was just watching it with no sound. But I was like, there's some really good shots there. And then that sparked the conversation on Saturday at the event with Kyle. I'm like, Kyle, I'm free the first week of November. We should come and shoot something at your compound, like a kind of going into the season, a little preseason edit, because he's got a hell of a setup there. Yeah. Yeah. He did a really good job. So he, um, bought my freestyle compound, which I think you yep. already know this. I think most people kind of picked up on that. I got injured, sold my stuff to him. He moved it up to his place and he set it up like a hundred times better than I did. My setup was like <laughs> pretty ghetto and like rushed, but he has a lot more experience in equipment and did a really good job setting it up. So everything's super clean and his in run is super cool. Cause it was like between trees right up against a yeah. busy road. So you just get like, you can get a lot of unique shots, but you should definitely go up there. I bet he'll have a bunch more tricks done, um, dialed in by then too. Yeah. It goes over his driveway, doesn't it? Yeah. He built a little jump to jump over his driveway so he doesn't have to run through the dirt like on the driveway. Can you imagine being like his UPS guy? <laughs> Pulling in the driveway and a sled jumps over and then hits a 75 foot comp ramp. Yeah. No, I've never thought about that. that that's where your brain goes. <laughs> yeah. You got to build that into the, the YouTube video. I, that's what I was thinking as I was saying it. I yeah. should chat with the UPS guy. Can we get a shot of you making a delivery? Oh, he can be delivering 509 product. There we go. There you go. Marketing. You got to write that down. Yeah, you do. Write <laughs> that down. It's a good idea. It was really sexy and Kyle do uh, freestyle at Heydays because... He learned a... What, was he doing rock solid or holy grabs? Uh, I don't know the difference, honestly. One, so, let's see. Holy grab is from the bars to the seat letting That's go. That's what he was rock doing. Rock solid is going from double grab letting go. Holy grab. grab. Yeah, which is gnarlier. For sure. Yeah. Like you're floating back from the bars and grabbing that seat. Yeah, dude, he's a maniac. Yeah, he has some, uh, a lot of determination, some raw talent, and then he's just built to like take so many crashes. You know, I've never, I've seen him crash so many times that in a way that would break normal people. It would break me. Mm -hmm. He just gets up and, oh, that kind of hurt. Like, I'm going to do it again. I remember, this is kind of a weird way to say this, but I remember watching him change. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> In the parking lot somewhere putting base layers on. And I just remember he looked like he'd been like running through a paintball oh. fight or like a paintball war, like just the bruises on that guy. I mean, he was just everywhere. He had scars and bruises and like welts from just impacts and crashes and I'm like, dude, I wouldn't be walking for a week. And he's just going back out there and sending it day after day. Yeah. Kind of and a he warrior. doesn't complain about the pain. Yeah, like, see, I'll that's see where him. we differ. <laughs> yeah. I'll let everyone know. I want them to know, like, dude, Same. like, I fucked up yesterday yeah. and I hurt I today. I hurt, yeah, like, definitely. But no, he'll just, I'll watch him, like, barely be able to get out of a hotel bed. Yeah. Go put his knee braces on. And you can tell, like, he's, he looks like he's going to start sweating. He's in so much pain. Yeah. But doesn't mention it once. Yeah. That's a special kind of nuts a little bit but that's kyle yeah i mean he gets it done yeah um i'm really curious also there's kind of kind of backtracking here a little bit um i think talking about the youtube thing is exactly the mindset you probably had wanting to implement that into that uh upcoming clinic was pushing guys how to film a little bit more and put themselves out there yeah um what what is kind of the end goal? Like, do you do you have for the guys leaving that clinic? You just want them to be able to go home and be able to pick up a camera and how to promote themselves in a way that's you know you know get people's attention a bit more. I mean, what kind of is the the goal of that clinic specifically? Um, it's kind of a hard question to ask because you got so many different elements within that clinic. But it interests yeah. me. That's why I'm I'm curious where. Your yeah. headspace is at with that. There's really, there's only so much you can do in two days, but I would like to leave them with a solid outline uh, to build up. Like 
this is this is um bits and pieces of what you need to make it happen right. and you're going to have to put it together but here are some of the main principles i learned you know through my journey and most likely they'll be helpful to you and you're going to have to put it into you know you can't follow my template there is no template to be a pro sledder or to make yeah. money off sledding but here's a few things i did a few things that may help you in your journey um, if you can implement this into your own template and make it happen, yeah. it's going to be helpful. And and I, I think a lot of it too is just being around people that are trying to accomplish the same thing is motivating and inspiring. And, you know, we might sit around after a day of riding and just discuss ideas and, you know, they might have some really good ideas and maybe they won't use that idea, but the next guy sitting on the couch will. Yeah, that's cool. It's such a different approach. I mean, everything historically has been level one, level two, level three. Let's learn how to side hill. Let's learn how to, you know, transition from one side to the other. And and that's just a whole new ball game right there. Your potential. I think you're going to learn a lot from it in the first few and be able to refine it, you know, and do it in the future year after year. But I think that's a really neat one, especially for the newer, I want to say, obviously it's a bit more advanced riding set, but that, that up and coming newer generation of sledders, I think would take a lot from that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of based off like I have these guys coming to advanced clinics and they're hard to teach. Like the, if I had guys coming in that can link five or six hopovers together in a bow tie, it's like, honestly, I don't want to critique that guy and tell him like to move his foot back or forward. Like right. he's, he's got it. Like what, what am I going to teach him? Like yeah. I don't at, at that point, it's just his personal riding style. He doesn't need critiquing, but if he wants a sponsor or if he wants to know what angle to shoot a hop over from to make it look gnarly yeah well i can help in that area yeah that's rad man I, i'm gonna definitely sign up for a clinic i gotta <laughs> i gotta figure out how to sh- shoot a hop over from the right angle well, I, I think you already know that <laughs> but we do look at it different because you look at a cinematic view of a hop over i look at like how do i make this hop over look more gnarly like yeah. can i shoot it from a does it look gnarly from above or below do i want to do a hop over around the tree or does that make it look too cluttered? Right. And you're thinking like, Oh, there's a sick mountain range and the sun's shining perfectly. Like, yeah, and he does a hop over like the, the, my focus is showing a rider's capability and your focus is cinematic shot. Definitely. Yeah. You're one of the few people actually probably one of the only, I, I figure out each guy I ride with and film with their style. You all have a different style. You all have different features you navigate towards. And my mindset changes as a filmer with whatever rider I'm with. It's like, okay, I know Sane likes this type of stuff. I know, you know, Maverick wants this type of stuff. Borchers hits this type of stuff. You are, you and Kyle, confidently I can say, are the two that I still will come into a zone and go, I have no idea what you guys want to do in here because you're going to look at something that I, I kind of now, I kind of think like they might want to go ride something in that, but I don't see anything possible. And then you'll look at it for like a couple minutes and go, yeah, I think I got this right here. And I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> so that for me is fun because I have to figure out how to capture that. That's what's tough about what you guys are doing. You're riding at such a gnarly and creative level to capture it. If there's if you're bonking your track off a rock or something and you're doing a re-entry where you literally are riding rock for a second or it exposes rock. Like there's so much happening. It's so hard to capture that. And that kind of plays into what you were saying, how to make a hop over look gnarly or whatever it may be. But in your specific instance, and it's just, dude, the, the stuff, the features you guys are riding, it is hard to capture. Yeah, it's, I believe it. Well, it, and we don't even always know what we're doing. Cause we like start out with a re-entry off a pillow. And then it's like, well, this could lead to a hop over a downhill hop over yeah. maybe a re-entry off another pillow 20 feet away. And you just kind of land and make these split second choices right after you land one maneuver, what you're going to do next. Yeah. And sometimes you even bail on that idea partway through and you just keep it pinned and like ride something else out. You know, I have so many shots where you just, you do something really cool and then you're completely out of frame because you just like randomly started going this way and you didn't expect it. That's just the way it played out. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, that was awesome. But I didn't get any of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I yeah. physically saw it, but the camera didn't. I kind of just learned to expect that. Like he's probably going to miss this shot because I'm behind like a clump of trees and it's impossible uh-huh. to get, but I want to keep my own like 
mental state going and kind of flow going and yep so land one thing go do another come back try to get back in the frame eventually it's such a battle in this industry is is capturing a continuous line efficiently i've like thought about hiring out like a pov guy or something but even that could be sick it, those are even tough too because the, the usually it's a really wide angle lens so you look tiny down there and you, you got to get the right and then you got to figure out how to get the guy in the back country yeah so I was like, do I figure out how to fly POV? What do we do? But I, I'm hoping from the media side of the industry for guys like yourself that there's something here in the f- near future to be able to capture these lines more efficiently. And, and I mean, I usually just have you for a, a moment in time. It's like, here's your window. And then either Mother Nature gets in the way or, or something. And it's tough. So that's why it's neat with your like advanced clinics or guys can come out and see it in person. And I think that really kind of drives it home a bit more of of what your mindset is and what your exit is and what your entry is to these lines, but it's hard to capture it. Yeah, I think you do a pretty good job of it, but I'm I, not fishing I, for compliments. I, I'm well, saying it's I'm saying I'm talking about you. You're so gnarly that it's just so hard to capture it. It's <laughs> there's so many factors in backcountry riding and what's fun to ride is not easy to film like the tighter the trees the more fun and if you throw some pillows in tight trees like that's like an ideal playground but it's almost impossible to film yeah so it's for filming it's almost better to get like a an open face with pillows so then you have the features to do maneuvers on but then it doesn't look that gnarly because it's a big open hill with a few pillows so it's some sort of balance between uh you know, an ideal playground, but still open and manageable enough to film. Isn't that interesting? Some of the gnarliest stuff you do and all these riders do, like not even their sponsors see it unless it's on a GoPro. Just yeah, and like, a GoPro is like, it never shows how gnarly something yeah, is. It just kind of goes like, they just take your word that that was sick unless you're like with <laughs> them and you get to see it firsthand. Like there's so much, it just goes forever unseen. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good riders out there that don't get very much recognition just because they don't want to put the work in to get the content. Yeah, like, there's a lot of riders that kick ass and they're just not into the filming side. I guess it's like kind of fortunate for me that I love the filming aspect. Like to yeah. me, that's its own challenge. So I would rather go out and try to get shots. Like I take more enjoyment in setting up camera angles and trying to get a shot of a maneuver. Like it's all tied together. And yeah you have to do it all to have a good time. And for me, um, but those guys that just want to ride, like why would they get a camera on? So they're just kick-ass riders that nobody knows about. Yeah. I was going to say on the flip side of that, I also have the utmost respect for those guys that are absolute shredders who don't give two shits about sponsors. Like they're like, this is just my weekend escape. And I just happen to be really good at it. But he's like, I don't care to film it. I don't care about sponsors, which is kind of, kind of rock and roll on its own yeah (laughs) Yeah, there's something pure about that those guys that are so talented and so good at what they do but aren't necessarily out looking for recognition there's so many guys like that in bc yeah they're really i'll just be in like a random zone in bc and some guy with like skis strapped to a sled will come like gnarly line and just keep on going just some no-name dude just out skiing backcountry and shredding on a sled yeah i think there's more there than anywhere else yeah um You've, you've actually seen some of that firsthand. Isn't Tanner Hall up in your neck of the woods this last winter? Yeah, so he lives just a couple hours north, and he loves skiing um, Sealy area. So yeah. I've ran into him a lot in the parking lot. He's actually like a super chill dude. Oh, yeah, he's chill. He's like stoned most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's not for me to judge, but for me to comment on whether he is or isn't. But uh, For those who are listening, don't Tanner Hall is like a multi-X Games I think multi-gold medalist too. Um, freestyle backcountry skier. He's done everything from super pipe to half pipe to backcountry. And he did yeah. Chad's gap in Utah. Yeah. An iconic gap came up short and broke both his legs. And like just, a, you know, a legend in the ski world. And yeah, I saw some of his lines um, up in, uh, I won't name the zone because it's kind of a little honey hole, but I saw some of his tracks up there. And I was like, those guys are on a different level. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, this one zone. I think it's the one you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. It's he, a continent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little honey hole in Sealy and uh, I'll see his tracks in there a lot. And it's like a booter off a cliff and I'm, I'm just like what yeah. on earth. And then I see his 
video like he'll post the video and I'm like oh hey that's my side hill track yeah right it's kind of cool for you too yeah. we're doing the same thing we're like look at tanner's tracks and, he, <laughs> and he's you're like look at my tracks yeah it's pretty funny you take any do you ever watch any of that stuff snowboard ski world you take any kind of lines from them i it, obviously they can navigate through some way tighter steeper terrain but they definitely look at the backcountry in a different way than we do um yeah they definitely do I, I just see the like viral clips on uh, on Instagram, but uh, I don't necessarily like study them. I do watch a lot of moto stuff, yeah. um, like Axel's you know style that he has on a bike, um, and Raha and uh, some of those other guys. So it's kind of it's easier for me to understand moto because it's a motor, and I right. have more experience on a dirt bike than I do skis. Um, so maybe I definitely get some inspiration from moto. I don't know if I do as much from skiing. Yeah, I've seen some glimmers of it in the future of Sled World, but I, I've talked with you about it. I would love to see, like like Hodges, for example, um, stringing some stuff together in the backcountry. Like, obviously a sled is way harder landing a wheelie than a bike. Yeah. But some stuff like like step up to, to wheelie, and then maybe it's like, I don't know. I, I kind of always envisioned a perfect, like, plateau step up. And then the back end of it drops off again yeah. and like step up, land in a wheelie and then like wheelie off a drop or something. And like, whether it's just a straight air or like wheelie to like heel clicker off of it. I, I just, I think that'd be so cool. And that's kind of the next level in the back country. I feel personally. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's the direction it's going to go. Like we had, um, Brant blowing everyone's minds with the tree riding and then, Next, it was like re-entries and bow ties and re-entries in the trees, whips in the trees, Turcotts, 270s, like that stuff. And I think the next big thing coming is wheelies yeah, and maybe endos or, you know, who knows. And then stringing those together, maybe it's a, I don't know that you could land a 270 flip in a wheelie, but, you know, a wheelie into a 270 flip. Or, yeah. And, and we've seen a little bit of that from Turcotte and Andreas. We've seen a little like a little tease of it. So yeah. we've seen like just enough to know there's a lot more possible than what's being done. You ever seen a clip of Andy's little brother, Cole? Yeah. Thomas? Yeah. He did a wheelie to like a cornice drop. He, right? he was going fast. Yeah. That looks <laughs> scary. <laughs> it it was cool. That. Cause it almost felt like since the wheelie was so fast that he was already in the air before he went off and the brake tap, it was satisfying that yeah. I see things like that. And I'm like, that's the future of, of kind of backcountry riding is stringing stuff together like that. Yeah. Who do you think is going to be the first to start pushing that style I mean, a little bit more? Brett's already shown a bit yeah. of it with that nolly off the cliff. Um, Andreas has the playground for it in Sweden up there, except their problem is you go 40 feet this way, you land on a giant rock. Right. <laughs> Maybe I, he'll be back in BC this year. I mean, like yeah, COVID travel stuff's kind of chilling out. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, you, obviously, I hope for you, once you get back to just absolutely shredding, I can definitely, you're my first pick, to be completely honest. <laughs> That's pretty kind of you. But. Well, you know, because there's some reasoning behind this. Because Brett's like, he can go big, right? Like, really big and have He's by far the best in the air. Like, most yeah. skilled at flips, tricks, and just smooth jumps. I haven't seen him bail from, like, a big jump in years. I don't think he has to, because he just gets them right every yeah. time. But... He's not the technical rider, right? Like he doesn't, I can't necessarily see him right off the bat getting a dial, being able to like land in a wheelie and all that. I mean, he's a smaller dude too, but I don't know. I, I think he can, he'll get there for sure. He'll probably hear this now and they'll put it like a fire <laughs> yeah. under his ass too. Yeah. I love you, Brett. You're one of the gnarliest guys ever, but I, my in, initial thought is like, I could see you doing it and I'd probably see like Andreas doing it. Or just any of those random Swedes. There's that one guy doing like a 270 flip off a watercross sled. Oh, yeah. I forget his name. Coming up on that shore. Was, those guys are insane. He's insane specifically. To do a 270 flip to sand. Yeah. Like a off a of water, up a wooden ramp to <laughs> sand. In like July. Yeah, yeah. What on earth? Brutal. But, well, sweet dude. You got anything else that we didn't hit on? Any big news anything any boring news literally anything i don't want to cut you <laughs> off here if you got anything else I'm, i think we kind of touched on everything that's uh happening in my life and relevant and yeah i'm excited for this year 
um, like I said, I'm going to be pushing business and I'm hoping to get a good foundation um, of business going this year. So the following year I can, I don't know, I want, don't want to say pull back from business, but really get back to writing because yeah. that's, that's what I'm thinking about. That's what I want to do. Like I'm not an entrepreneur at heart. Like it, I'm going, I'm becoming an entrepreneur because I want to make money off sledding and want to yeah. um, ride with guys and influence them so they can, you know, accomplish their goals. But at heart, like I just want to rip a sled and go big and push myself and progress. So yeah, I feel that. That's why it says feeling your passion podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a sledder before all of this too. Yeah. I respect the hell of that. Yeah, dude, everything uh, you've gone over today has been, I mean, a ton of information, I think that people haven't really known and, and, or at least we elaborate on a handful of things and I, I'm stoked for you. I'm stoked for the future for you. Um, I'm wishing you a speedy recovery, dude. I seriously, I hope nothing but the best and that you get back out there and doing what you love. Um, but yeah, dude, I appreciate you taking the time to come and sit down. Are you going to be going to any snow shows or anything? Any places people can overlap with you? No, I don't have any planned. I'll, I'll likely be at the Spokane show, but okay. I think that's all I'm doing. Um, just because the treatment I'm doing here in Spokane is five days a week. So okay. I'm pretty tied up right now. Well, that's November something. 12th, I think November the, 12th. Okay. Well, if you guys are around the area, hopefully, maybe I'm not putting you, I'm not making you come. <laughs> Caleb might be there. If you are, we'll confirm on social media. So yeah, thanks again, buddy. Um, if you guys aren't following Caleb on social, I don't know what you're doing. Check him out on social, check him out on YouTube. And then for us here, uh, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, we really appreciate the reviews you guys have been given. Those help us a ton. And if you're on YouTube, leave a comment. Um, obviously, smash that like button, hit subscribe, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. Thanks, Caleb. Yeah, thanks, David.